here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks. This is Sean Zock. This is the drop zone. I am flying solo this week. If you like the podcast that Dylan did about a month ago with Xander Shoffley when he was flying solo, I think you're going to like this one too. I've got Mackenzie Hughes joining me this week. He just won a couple weeks ago at the Sanderson Farms event in Mississippi. That was his first win in six years. I think, well, I think we'll learn on this podcast. Six years without a win is plenty long enough to realize that maybe you doubt that you can do it again. But he did it. And in response to that, we decided to dive back into his entire 2022 season and just break down everything because it was a bit of a roller coaster, like a lot of solid finishes, some really, really weird rule stuff at Torrey Pines and then Scottish Open. He had a couple strings of missed cuts throughout the year and then suddenly a victory. So Mac joined from the, what, the United Lounge at the Las Vegas airport. He got a workout in at an airport. Apparently, that's a thing you can do in Vegas. We went for about 70 minutes. He was chomping on chips and salsa, but he was really good, and I think you're really going to like it. So 70 minutes of me and Mac. Pour yourself a cup of coffee. Kick your feet up. Dive into that, but only after I've told you about Radmore. Radmore is the presenting sponsor of The Drop Zone, and Radmore thinks it is golf hoodie season. I could not agree more. I just played a bunch of golf last weekend, and never once was I in short sleeves. The folks at Radmore say fall golf is Radmore season as well. They uh, they have the Higgins sweatshirt, the hoodie. I actually, It's like super thick, right? And it feels like it's almost impenetrable to the rain, but it is the perfect sweatshirt for fall golf. They've got, what, six different colors online. They just dropped a new blue graphite color. It's $120, right? This is not necessarily a cheap hoodie, but you get 25% off with the Drop Zone discount code. It's D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E. You can choose from baby blue, gray, heather gray, dark green, lime green, and now this blue graphite, which is basically a navy blue. And with that discount, it'll be knocked down to 90 bucks. It will be the best sweatshirt you own and the sweatshirt that you want to play a bunch of fall golf with. You need to go find it at radmoregolf.com, R-A-D-M-O-R-G-O-L-F.com, drop zone discount code. And now, without further ado, Mackenzie Hughes. Joining me now is Mr. Mackenzie Hughes, recent PGA Tour champion, two-time PGA Tour champion. Uh, we're going to dive into that second victory here in a second, but first, Mackenzie, where are you right now? Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from the uh, Las Vegas airport, and uh, I am shortly about to board the uh, charter for Japan for the Zozo Championship, so gearing up for a long night. A man in transit uh, is your face. It looks like you maybe just took a shower or had a workout in. Is Are both of those true? Both of those are true. Um, I landed here uh, around 5.30, 5.45, and was hoping to get a workout in of some sort, but I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. And then I found out they have a gym downstairs in the Las Vegas airport, which, I mean, I don't know if anyone knows that, but they do have a gym here. And it's actually like a full-on, like, 
Oh my god! Full on club down there, and I got a nice workout in. Got a shower, and uh, I'm feeling ready to go for this charter. So let's go. I was gonna say that'll knock you out for the what twelve hour flight? Uh, I believe maybe maybe eleven, but uh, eleven twelve. It doesn't matter at that point. No, it definitely doesn't. Uh, well, sweet. Thanks for joining us. We're going to run through your calendar year, basically. And I think what's interesting about your calendar year is that you really finished 21 really strong. Like your fall of 21, it felt like you were on the verge of something. And then you have, I guess, what amounts to the month-long December PGA Tour offseason. Uh, what were your goals when you turned into January? Are you kind of are you the type of person who writes them down? What did you have in mind? Um, you know, in the past, I have been someone that usually wrote them down, but uh, I don't. I don't recall going into twenty twenty two writing any really big goals down. I, I had the the major ones in my head. Obviously, I've been trying for quite a while to win. Um, I wanted to make that Presidents Cup team in Charlotte. That was a huge goal of mine. And then you're always trying to make it to East, like be one of those top thirty guys and. I wanted to get better, but like, I don't, I don't look at my like strokes gained off a tee and go, I want to be like, you know, positive like 0.5 or I want to be positive. I, I just, I want to just get, feel like I'm getting better. And so I think I had like the goals there in the back of my mind, but I'm more of a guy that's like, okay, I know those things are, are there, but like, what are the, what am I going to do daily to get to those, get to those markers? Um, I don't need to revisit them or think about them all the time. Um, yeah. So maybe a bit different than some, but uh, I like to have like good systems in place. And if my systems are good, I feel like that's going to get the, the outcomes I want. And you kind of, I mean, at least the way you just described it, you described it more of a feel sense. If you feel like you're getting better. Uh, what is the most interesting is again, like before this summer, the one thing you and I shared is that I wrote about how during 2019, you were the most average PGA tour player, which is to say you were smack dab in the middle of be of the best players in the world. And that is a big strokes gained thing. And so did like when you were doing that in 2019, did you feel like you were in the middle there average of the best players on the planet? Yeah, I think so. Cause I, I know that 2019 for me was a year that had a lot of like good stuff in it, but it also had stuff that I didn't like in it. And uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. And I didn't feel like I had um, quite recaptured uh, the form that I knew I was capable of yet. So, uh, and then obviously the following year, um, I wasn't average. Uh, I was above average. And um, so, you know, it, and it's not like, like you said, it was, it was never meant to be a bad thing. And I never took it as a bad thing. Like, you know, being an average yeah. PGA Tour player is, is, is still pretty good. So, um, obviously that's not where I want to be, but, um, that's where I was in 2019 and, uh, trying not to return to that place. So you were not annoyed with me at all that, that me and Mark Brody helped put that into the world. Nope. Nope. You guys, uh, <laughs> you guys weren't hitting the shots. So you guys were just writing on both the facts, the facts are the facts. You can't, you can't number, uh, argue with those numbers. And the numbers said that I was right in the middle. So that's what it was. All right. Well, I, th I think this year, in some ways, there's also some good and some bad, obviously. But I think it started with something I thought to, was very weird. I'm taking you to the ninth hole at Torrey Pines, uh, the first tournament of the year. And I know you've talked about this before, but basically, what happened on the ninth hole? So I was four under. This is my first round of 22. Uh, 
and really playing quite nice. Like I actually kind of, I remember getting off to kind of a slow start that day and then kind of building it back. And I had gotten to four under playing the ninth hole, great drive. So thinking birdie finish, shoot five under, um, hit a so-so second shot kind of short left of the green and pins back. Right. So I've, I've really hit him in an okay spot. Um, lots of green to work with and the marshal by the green <clears throat> walks over, puts the flag down. So when I get up there, my ball's like near this small tree and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be kind of a tough backswing. I got a bit of a restricted backswing. And anyways, I, I actually tried to get relief which I wasn't granted relief because I thought it was one of those small trees that had a little had a little stake next to it. So I thought, oh, maybe yeah. maybe I can't take a swing here. So I didn't get relief, which is obviously uh, a very very important note here because if I'd gotten relief, <laughs> yeah. this all doesn't happen. So I don't get relief. End up like making this little like abbreviated swing and play this awesome shot to six feet, like really awesome shot. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, that was sick. Awesome. Couldn't do much better than that. <clears throat> I go up there, mark my ball, pick it up, look at it. And I just like threw it to my caddy being like, you gotta be kidding me. And started walking back to short left of the ninth green. And he's probably thinking at this point, what's, what's going on. And oh he's looking at the ball and he's going off shit too. And so we go back, <laughs> my ball is like maybe three or four steps from that ball in a nicer lie with no tree issues. So, I mean, just a, a very weird start to the year. And, you know, so I go from making what's likely a four. I mean, I'm not going to say I, I'm going to make that putt, yeah. but likely four to a seven. <laughs> so I said, and shoot, then the next day, and the next day, I just didn't quite, I mean, I played okay but I shot even on the South course and missed a cut by one shot. And oh. that was the start of my 22. And it was, uh, it was a little interesting, but um, yeah. Uh -huh. So not, not, uh, not great, but um, learn from that for sure. Okay. In, in your head, are you, are you annoyed with yourself that you didn't, somehow check that it was your ball are you dumbfounded at this absurd situation uh that you've never been in are you angry i'd be angry i was definitely angry um yeah but really could only be angry at myself you know the marshal did what he thought was the right thing put the ball down or the mark yeah. the flag down where he saw a ball and um you know the odds of there being a you know a ball right in that vicinity That's uh, absurd. were quite slim <laughs> So I, I probably would have thought the same thing. Um, and it's my duty to check that that's, that's my ball. And um, I was definitely rattled by that. And um, I'd love to say I've not done that since, but I have. Um, Wait, what? Which, yes, yes. Uh, we can get to that at some point in the summer. This will come up again uh, as we dive into 22. But um, no, I mean, I was coming off a really big high at the end of the year in 21. And I felt like that was a bit of a, I don't know, it was, it was a minor hiccup, but it seemed like it kind of bumped me off the track a little bit. And um, I don't know, I lost a bit of momentum there, but um, you know, that's just one of those things that you have to eventually laugh off and, and learn from. Yeah. The, uh, the miscut is, I mean, by one is probably one of those 
unfortunately cruel life lessons. But uh, missing a cut, I think, is just at some point it becomes part of tour life. And you ended up missing four cuts in the first six starts. I'm curious, like in year seven, what do cuts feel like to you? Are you able to shake them? Do they stick with you? Like that one obviously probably stuck a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, do you, when you go through a rough stretch, do you feel like you need to take a break or do you just have to like ride it out? So it's funny. I feel like I'm someone that um, rides momentum both good and bad. And um, mm. so in year seven, I feel like you still place a high importance on that. Like even, you know, I know Justin Thomas has been vocal about saying, you know, his goals. And I think he had a goal of like no miscuts yeah. uh, one year, you know, and it's like, obviously a guy like that still thinks about, you know, cuts made as, as a very important metric of how consistent and reliable you are uh, each week. And um, so it, it still bothers me. And, um, <laughs> but if you miss three or four cuts in a row, you know, the answer isn't to just go sit at home and, you know, wait it out. Like it's going to get better. Um, some of my best golf, I feel like has actually come after, you know, a long stretch of missed cuts. Like I finished second at the Honda in 2020 um, after five mm-hmm. missed cuts in a row. When I led the U S open at Torrey Pines uh, through three rounds, I had missed five cuts in a row. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's evidence of, like good golf being just around the corner, which I think is a, a good thing for you to be able to draw back on because sometimes you feel like you missed four or five cuts in a row and you're like, Oh man, my game feels way off. Well then the next mm-hmm. week you prove that it's not, you know, like you can't leave the U S open after three rounds if your game, you know, is not good. So it, it still bothers me uh, to answer your question, but um, it is part, it is part of pro golf. And unfortunately I feel like in my, in my career, if I look back, I've, I've missed so many cuts by one or two shots that those are almost like more infuriating than like, you know, when you've missed a cut and you've like missed it by six or seven and you're just like, you know, for the last nine holes, I didn't have a shot and it was, you know, I kept been at peace with it. But then when you missed a cut on the last hole or, you know, missing a putt or that one shot or two shots, it's uh, a little bit harder to swallow. Totally. Uh, As we move forward, if I miss anything, like apparently the second time in which you didn't have your ball uh just interrupt me but let's move forward to masters week your third masters i think is that right yep um are you the kind of pro who just adores augusta national um is it like the major that you want to win the most or or does it rank backward a little bit I, i just think pros just are afraid to say you know what like it's second for me or they're afraid to say anything but glowing things about augusta yeah, um, I, I do. I do glow and, and love that place. Um, I don't know if when I got there, it was quite what I thought it would be. Um, this is going to sound probably not great, but the the conditioning is is definitely great. But it's not maybe as good as I thought it would be. Like the grasses there are almost like kept a bit longer and like shaggier okay. than I would have thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which almost makes it harder around the greens and into the and into the greens because into you don't green, you don't yeah. always get those like perfectly crisp down grain like bent grass lies. Like when we go play you know Jack's tournament every year, um, the conditioning of that place is unbelievable. Like you just hmm. it's just it's just different. Um, now 
Augusta has the history and, you know, all the greats that have played this game have won there and have played there. And so I think that's part of what makes it really special every year, uh, going back to the same place. Um, and it just, it does have a feel to it. I mean, you go on those grounds, it does feel different. Um, but yeah, I still think it'd be the coolest major to win, honestly, just because of yeah. the, you know, they just have different traditions there that, you know, other majors, you know, can try to replicate or they have, but they're just not yeah. the same. Like the champion's dinner, um, the green jacket is such an iconic thing to, like, if you're out wearing that, you know, you just, you'd be stopped yeah. everywhere you went. Um, so it is probably number one, but, um, I'd certainly take any of them at this point. Uh, it wouldn't be too picky. <laughs> Uh, well, you won the par three contest this year. Yeah, that's a start. Got one trophy. Were you, <laughs> were you trying to win? I actually, so I started out. Um, I buried the first like couple holes, and I buried then chipped on number three, and I was like, all right, well now after this start, I'm just like, I'm gonna try and win this thing, and uh, I. I actually played. I played nice. I missed a few putts that I definitely could have made, and um, it's just a really fun, fun golf course. Um, first time actually. So that was my third Masters. That was my first par three contest played, and it still wasn't a full mm. par three contest. So I'm still waiting for that like nice idyllic Wednesday afternoon yeah. where it's like 75 sun, sun out, oh. you know. So I'm still waiting on that. But I had my family out there. Uh, two two young boys, and that was that was the best part of the whole day. I mean, winning was a was a bonus, but um, having them out there, uh, hitting some shots, kind of chasing the ball around, that um, those are the memories that I will always uh, always remember. What do your kids think of golf? So my four year old, uh, who's almost five, he, I think, is starting to grasp what I do. You know, yeah. he, he, he plays with his friends at daycare. And then, you know, if his friends have to leave, uh, he knows their dad missed the cut. You know, so if they're leaving for the weekend, they all, you know, my friend, uh, you know, so-and-so is leaving because his dad missed the cut. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know how it works. Um, <laughs> so he's kind of getting it. And I think that he found, you know, what we were doing there at the Masters pretty cool because he hit a few shots and a few putts and, when he made a putt, you know, yeah. everyone, everyone cheered for him and clapped and he'd go, all, he'd go all red and blush and thought that was really neat. So, um, and then for him to be able to watch me a little bit and see me in that setting, you know, he still wants, wants my autograph, even though I tell him that, you know, that really means nothing. Uh, I'm your dad and yeah. I can give you anything you want. Um, we can, we can hug, we can, you know, we can do cool handshakes. <laughs> But he wants my autograph because he's giving it to other people. So, yeah. um, my youngest doesn't quite get it yet, but uh, he'll be there soon. And um, it's just, uh, it's just cool that we've had some of these cool memories um, as a family. And as they get older, I'm sure they'll become uh, a little more appreciative of some of the things they've been able to do as, as young kids. Sure. Of all the secrets that need to be unlocked to contend at Augusta like how many secrets have you unlocked do you feel like you've got a grasp on the place or is it still pretty mysterious in some ways no I think I I do have a pretty good grasp on the place but the bottom line is is that you still have to play you have to play really really good golf and um, I think it actually requires less than you think sometimes Um, Hmm. 
in, in a sense that like you don't have to be perfectly like, look at a Bernhard Langer, um, a Sandy Lyle who've had success there at an old age. Um, it, it's a lot of where you miss the ball. So like, you know, you're not always going to have perfect shots, but if you miss it in the right places, you know, you can always kind of get it around. Um, now to win and be there on Sunday, you got to play, you know, really exceptional golf and eliminate those mistakes. But um, I feel like I have a good, a good handle on what it takes around there. Um, but it, it's hard it, and it's a frustrating place. I know Terrell, Terrell Hatton made some, you know, interesting remarks this year about how he just thought it was like super unfair. And, and I, I agree with him to an extent, but then I was like thinking okay. to myself, then I was thinking to myself, this is probably what the losers say. The guys that don't win, mm. you know, Scotty Scheffler probably wasn't thinking that it was unfair or, you know, yes. and so I, it becomes like, how well do you accept those nuances mm-hmm. and things that happen in Augusta? Like I remember uh, this past year on Sunday, I hit a, perfect shot on six and the pin was top right and my ball was about 12 feet under the hole like just above the ridge and it stopped and i was like oh that's 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 gonna be great that's money and so i'm walking off the tee and i start walking down the hill then i hear this groan and i'm like oh what's that so i look up and i look up to my ball rolling down the hill and i'm now like 35 yards short of the flag down at the bottom of the slope trying to pitch up yep. that hill i'm like now i'm grinding for four to try to make a, a par and yeah. you know i had 12 feet for birdie so i was like and i was at the, at the time i was in like 50th place so i was like man this this place is just kicking me in the teeth and i wasn't really yeah. having a lot of fun but it's that's what the place does to you and it's like do you you know accept that and just go on or do you like say oh man this this place is not fair you know woe is me yeah. so I think um, I'm starting to get a good grasp on on those things, and uh, the more you play it, obviously, the the better off uh, you are. That strikes me as something that would absolutely crush anyone if they were like in contention. Oh, like, like you were in fiftieth, right? Imagine yeah. if you were T four. Oh, gosh, <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, in some ways, I feel like you know when you're when you're say you're like a, you're in the top five, you're probably handling those things fairly well. But when you're in fiftieth, you're just like. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you know, curse word, curse word, curse word. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it is a frustrating place, but I think once you kind of get past that, those are just things that happen out there. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of separates you and gets you gets you to the next uh, next point, which is obviously contending and, and playing really well. Yeah, well, I got good news for you. You're going back there in the uh, in April. So you get your fourth run part, around that place and part four, <laughs> maybe a full par three contest. Yes. This time. Yes. That'd be nice. Um, so, well, that was a made cut. That's good. Major made cuts are good. Um, I want to lump the PGA championship and the U S open together because you have different results. Um, two major championships, two courses that kind of like, I think, I think you you know better than me, but sort of rewarded the same things, or at least um, their scores ended up being very similar. I think Fitzpatrick won at Brookline at six under, and JT got into the playoff at like five or six under. Yeah, I think it's five. Um, yeah. So uh, the PGA was a miscut with the tough start on Thursday, and then the U.S. Open you make you finish T twenty four. My question is more in general. 
how do you treat those weeks? Are you the kind of guy who's like, I need to ramp up for those weeks. I need to get really, really ready. I need to focus even more. Or do you treat them like every single week? Nothing's different. Um, I would say the latter. Um, I don't think that for me, I found that putting more emphasis there helps me. Um, and I treat almost every, every week on the PGA tour, I treat seriously and I work really hard to be prepared. So I don't feel like I need to do anything extra or, um, any, be many, any more detailed. Um, I feel like you can overdo the preparation. You can overwork. Um, and actually I would say that my first, my first masters, that was probably the case. Uh, I missed a cut and I was out there like the entire time. I just like, I couldn't leave the property. I'm like, looking back on like, what it do you, is, what, it's what pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. The first time you're there, it is really cool. But like, you weren't even trying to win that you just, you know, you're just enjoying sk skipping balls in the pond and playing, the, you know, <laughs> trying to play the par three. It was just, you just, you're just there. Um, and you just deer in the headlights a little bit. So uh, mm -hmm. I kind of reverted back to just like, Hey, this is a tournament that you would prepare for any other way. And, um, that was, uh, you know, pretty helpful as I started to get into more majors. And I think that I've started to have some good success there. And, um, it's been, been by following the same format that I've been following for almost every other week. Totally. Now, when this summer did you have this uh, issue with the, with recognizing your golf ball, playing a different golf ball? What when did that happen? So that was actually our uh, our infamous uh, Scottish Open where we were practice round partners. Oh shit. So yeah. I'm trying to make the cut on Friday, and I am two off the cut line, and I bogey the sixth hole. So need to bury the last three holes. I hit it in the left rough off the seventh hole. And okay. same exact scenario as Tori, where I get up there, the flag's in the ground, you see a ball, get up there, you whack it. I get up there by the green, and I'm like, you got to be effing kidding me. I'm like, so I just start walking back. I'm like, I'm just furious, head down, stomping away. You know, running back to try, try and find, you know, where my actual ball is. And, of course, it's, like, in a perfect lie, like, closer <laughs> to the green. Everything that, like, was the same about the other one where it's, like, oh. it, just, it was a better scenario. If I just found my real ball, it would have been way better. Um, but I was, oh like, hacking God. it out of this, like, brutal lie. And, yeah, that's so twice in, like, six months <laughs> I played the wrong ball. I was, like, after Tori, I was, like, I'll never do this again. And six months later, sure as shit, played the wrong oh, ball. I didn't. I did not realize that that was how your Scottish Open uh, ended. That is. It ended. Yeah, it ended. Uh, <laughs> yeah, quite brutally and tragically. Um, but it so. But it started great with the Tuesday practice round with Joel Damon and Corey Connors and Nick Taylor. Um, how often are you playing practice rounds with your Canadian friends? Um, I would say every week um yeah. with, the ex <laughs> with the exception of you know the odd one here there um we play a lot together um we're all you know pretty close and good buddies so it's just something that i've become very comfortable doing and i don't know there's the odd week that doesn't work out we just go to the team and play with somebody you know somebody else or i played you know yeah. i played other games with 
you know, different, different people, but nine times out of 10, you know, it'll be a Canadian. It'll be Nick. It'll be Corey, uh, Hadwin, Gligic, Bendreth, one of those guys. And, um, just kind of, yeah. It, and I think amongst the, the tour people are always like, no, nope, yeah, there the Canadians go. Yeah, there they go. <laughs> and, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Just, just Is comp- Joel, comp- the adopted comp- American. Yes. Yeah, he's he's pretty much Canadian. He spent you know <laughs> a couple of years up there. Um, yeah, he really enjoyed it up there. So he uh, he could definitely be honorary Canadian. He could he can sub in anytime. My co-host, this is his question. This is not my question, but it gets okay. you in an interesting spot. Okay, his question is: Mackenzie Hughes, are you the best male Canadian golfer in the world? Um, I am not. <laughs> Um, I would like to be, and I, uh, aim to be, uh, I think right now, Corey, Corey has, um, you know, taken that spot and he's, uh, got a pretty firm, firm hold on it, but I do have more wins than him on the PGA tour. So I got that. Damn right. Um, so, uh, and I will definitely let him know about that. Um, no, he's he's played really really well over the last few years, and he's been super consistent. Um, his run of the Masters last you know a couple of years, a couple of top tens, and he's been consistent there. It's just he's really um, elevated his game, and yeah, so he he pushes me to be better. And um, we've had some cool moments, you know, playing Olympics together and and uh, different things like that. So it's been cool to be able to kind of share that with him and and be on tour these last five six years together. But no, he's definitely, uh, uh, I go by the rankings. He's number one. And oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm I respect cha- that. I'm chasing them. I'm chasing them. <laughs> uh, well, you know what I found to be funny when I was preparing for this was I was thinking back to that Scottish Open week and uh, I was caddying for Joel, but I was doing this half writer, half caddy gig. And that was one of the weeks that like live was particularly interesting because there was the uh, Adair Manor Pro-Am where apparently a bunch of, you know, the invitees are getting together and talking about the future of the tour. Uh, there was four players earning their way back into the field at the Scottish Open, making it a field of 160. Um, and honestly, like when I think back to that week, I think about Keith Mitchell, like asking me for my opinion, me asking you if you've heard anything, you asking me, Sean, like, is there anything I don't know? And I was just wondering, like, what role did Liv play in your summer? Was it extremely a distraction? Was it something you were intrigued in or concerned by? What, what did it, how did it exist within your ecosystem? Um, I would say it was a huge distraction, actually. And I kind of joked about it with numerous guys that you almost couldn't go a day being on tour without talking about it without having some conversation, whether it was like at lunch and a practice round, you saw this news came out. Oh, you see that on Twitter. And it was just all the time, nonstop. And I felt like I kind of got caught up in it a little bit too much where it wasn't really going to affect me day to day, but you just couldn't help. But we were just talking about it all the time. And yeah, and I don't think that's going to change a whole lot anytime soon, but I've certainly been able to put it aside now. Like now I don't really think nice. about it very often. Um, it's, it still comes up on my feed and people that I follow or whatever still talk about it, but it doesn't like 
consume a day-to-day conversation and I can definitely kind of compartmentalize what they're doing over there and what we're doing here. And I'm focused on PGA Tour and my goals and, and that tour will exist for the next number of years and I don't see it going away. So yeah, kind of just made that, made that, you know, decision that it's time to stop talking about it because it's not doing anything sure. for me. Sure. I respect that. I am, fr- uh, similarly exhausted by it and it probably doesn't seem that way to people on twitter when they just see the discussion but yeah i'm ready to certainly move on to something else yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh, myself um all right so the other thing that week that i found to be very interesting is on thursday the setup of the 16th and 18th hole at renaissance club put you and it put you and a number of guys in the PM wave into a blender basically because so the way I can best explain it from my perspective is when we actually played together on Tuesday, Joel went over to the setup officials and said, Hey guys, we just played that into the wind and I barely made the fairway, uh, barely cleared the rough and fast you to get into the fairway. You guys should really think about moving that up a tee if it plays into the wind. They said, yeah, we're, we definitely are considering it. Lo and behold, Thursday comes around. It's maybe a little bit windier than it was expected. You're playing in the PM wave, and a lot of guys could not reach the fairway on 16 and then like pretty much on 18 as well. And I just remember seeing you and Jace come in and are talking to, to the, the setup staff. I remember seeing Finno come in extremely pissed off. Fleetwood was pissed off. Cantley was pissed off. And I was like, holy shit, something happened out there because like Joel and I played in the morning. And we didn't see anything uh-huh. that was yeah. really standing out. So um, what, what, what happened there, I guess? Yeah. So you, cause you didn't, you didn't reach the fairway. Did you? I think I may have just, but I may have been just short. I'm trying to recall. It was either just, there or just yeah. short but like busted the drive perfect and um <laughs> you, you you kind of previewed it perfect so it's a par five that is probably 250 or so to the fairway 260 um but in the practice rounds played into the wind and then they got more wind on thursday than they were expecting coming off a la- the last two holes before that weren't weren't my best and i was kind of reeling a little bit and i walk over to 16 t to see that t on the back and I know right away <laughs> that I can't reach the fairway. And I'm like, I'm like, you, uh, yeah, you, you know what? And I was like, I cannot believe they put that tee back there. And I was like talking to my caddy. I'm like, where do I aim this? Like, is there, is there a spot of like less fescue that I can hit it in? You know? And yeah. yeah, aim for the walking path. Uh, so I remember getting done with the whole, there was an official walk, like Eric between 16 and 17. I just I kind of gave him a look like, hey, what what were you guys thinking there? Like, that is absolutely atrocious, um, mm-hmm. terrible setup. Because the worst case scenario is if you play it up, you guys go for the green and knock it on. But you yeah. play it back and you've just screwed over half the field. And yeah, that was really bad. And then eighteen, <clears throat> I hit driver driver, and <laughs> hell yeah, it's just like like what what are we doing? <laughs> this is ridiculous and so yeah i don't know that i know you're gonna mess up from time to time but uh-huh. that seemed like really bad um and, and really I poor what, on their what part. i wanted and, to and, know and my, was... and my, my argument to them after the round was like 
I know this is not the way it's going to be, but you guys literally should leave those teas there for tomorrow. That's what yeah. it should be. Now they would be like, well, we made a mistake. We're not going to make it, make it twice. I'm like, you should, you should, you should definitely you make, make it twice. twice. Yeah. You gotta make it for every player in the field. Um, and I don't recall it blowing as much the next afternoon, but, um, and they moved the tees up. So I was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they definitely <laughs> corrected it for round two. And, um, there was a, I, I want to say there was a three stroke uh, differential oh, yeah. in the waves that week. It brought me and Joel back into play after a 77 yeah. morning wave. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, man, it's, I mean, like, obviously the wind had a huge factor in it, but that, you know, that setup on 16 and 18 did not help either. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been on a few of those. Obviously, you, you play enough on the PGA Tour, you're going to get on the side, the wrong side of those um, those weather days mm-hmm. and those waves. But that was a pretty bad one. So throughout the summer, I guess for you, just looking like strictly at results, which is I know a tricky game, but it's kind of fair and unfair. Mm-hmm. Like you get the top ten at Wells Fargo, you probably feel really great. That was off of a phenomenal fourth round, and then like. You end up making your way through the U.S. Open, the Canadian Open. You played really well. Uh, first round and strokes game positive throughout the weekend. Travelers went well. And then you you struggle, I guess, for another month. And I guess I wonder, does it feel like a roller coaster of a season when you – because on, on the World Golf Ranking page, it looks like a roller coaster. But it it happens week by week for you and day by day. So I just kind of wonder if it if it can't feel that way. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, this season, um, was a bit up and down. Um, I don't know if like going through it week to week felt like that, but now when I, you know, look back to it, there was obviously like some, some dips and there was some, some highs and, um, my like good stretches of golf were like really good, like were really close to being like very good. Um, okay. in particular, like my stretch from like Memorial, through yes. the travelers anyone that really is around the game and, and is somewhat close to the game would, would tell you that like a top 25 is just like you know it's like three or four shots from like a seventh place finish or a sixth place finish where you like really have like an outside chance to win and like the u.s open i finished 24th and i was four shots from finishing seventh and i'm just thinking to myself like over the course of those four days like i could there were so many shots i felt like were just so easy to clean up mm. So I was really encouraged by a lot of that golf. And then I kind of, um, yeah, like, like I was telling you, I kind of got on the wrong side of momentum there. And uh, I'd missed four cuts in a row through uh, the Scottish all the way through to the Rocket uh, and the mm-hmm. Wyndham. Um, so I was going to the playoffs, you know, on that form and didn't feel like I was actually that far off. But I just kind of, I don't know what happened. I just, golf, I don't know, golf happened. and Yeah. So wasn't feeling terrible, but like, you know, in my mind, I was, uh, I was kind of reeling a little bit and I wanted to, to kind of get off the, the snide there. And so Memphis, I played, played nice and, uh, felt like I was again, quite close to some really good golf. And then, um, the same thing with BMW, BMW felt like it was a week where there was so much good and then it would be undone by a couple of swings or, uh, a momentum swing on a couple holes in the middle of my round that would go the wrong way. And 
And that was how I pretty much sealed my fate as, uh, you know, President's Cup hopeful. And I, the, the timing of that couldn't have been really worse. Um, if I just, I think after, after Travelers, um, you know, if there was no more golf at that point, um, I think I would have been on that team. But going into the selections, I wasn't uh, playing my best. And uh, that had a huge, a huge impact on that. So even though to me, to me, I felt like you're making selections based on a tournament that's going to be in five weeks still. So like yep. the guys that are playing Toast well time. could not be playing well in five weeks. And the guys that aren't playing, like that, cause just that, there's that much time in golf where like those things change really quickly. And I still feel like I would have been a good asset to the team. Uh, a good putter playing match play, I think is always, um, always fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so that ultimately that was, that was the end of my season. That was the stretch I kind of finished on and it was unfortunate, but that's just, um, that's how she goes. You're wearing it pretty well still. Uh, I'm curious about the phone call because, you know, I know you know the phone call's coming and you know it's either going to be a very positive phone call or a negative one. You know, when NFL draft prospects see the phone ring, they know they're getting drafted. Like they're waiting for just that rush of excitement. You know the phone is probably going to ring at some point from Trevor and it could either be, hey man, you're on this team, congratulations, or something obviously polar opposite of that. So what what's that phone call like and maybe the anxiety that precedes it? Yeah, I think I was a little bit nervous to get that phone call, kind of anticipating the the, the bad phone call. Oh. Uh, just 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 because of the way that the season finished. Um, I just didn't have the good the good vibes. I felt like had I been, you know, one of the guys he was really thinking about, I think it would have been kind of been in contact with him a little bit more. Um, hmm. So I felt like I was going to get that phone call in the wrong, the wrong way. And I did when I, when it came through and I saw his name, I wasn't really ready for it. You know, I ran outside, but I was, my, oh, I, was with, I was with my kids. So I just, I ran outside, you know, pick up the phone and, you know, my heart's kind of starting to pound a little bit and I just got the vibe right away. You know, it was just um, the first couple mm-hmm. lines. I just felt like, you know, the tone that it was like, he was ready to deliver the bad news mm. and so we ex- exchanged small talk and pleasantries for a little bit and then it was uh you know hey i'm not gonna be able to pick the foot team and you know you just you just sink down to the floor and you just yeah it sucks but um i and if i could have done it again um i wish i had been more ready to to, to like know what i was gonna say but sure. I just didn't have it. I just didn't know what to say at that point. And, um, I, I would have fought harder for myself. I would have kind of been my, my own advocate a little bit more. Totally. Cause I re- cause I really do think that, um, at the end of the day, uh, I know he picked a team that was, uh, it was super strong. It was a great team. Um, but those first couple of days they got outputted, you know, pretty badly. And, um, I felt like I could have been a big help there, but that's um, not for me to decide. And they had their analytics team come up with the best, the best 12 and, and that wasn't me. So uh, yeah. I look, I look forward to Club Montreal. That's right. Damn right. Uh, well, so you live in Charlotte, right? Yep. And so again, I'm probably just like 
digging into a, a scab that was had already crusted over. But uh, did you did you end up going to the event, or did what did you do that week? So I didn't go. I thought about it, um, but I was going to have to. I mean, I hate to say it. Uh, I was going to have to slug it with the with the fans and the <laughs> you know, and like get the shuttle bus in and. Oh man, I didn't, that's brutal. I mean, I'm sure I could have bugged someone for a pass, but I, I wasn't really going to do that either. And yeah, and honestly, I think it would have been hard for me to watch at that point, being that I felt like I was deserving of a of a spot, maybe. Um, so yeah, I I didn't go. I watched a fair bit uh, on TV, but didn't mm-hmm. go. My mom my mom was in town and was visiting, so um, had a good excuse to kind of lay low and, and hang out with her. So, but it did it did sting. Uh, being that it was 15 minutes down the road and, you know, you saw signs for the president's got parking everywhere and, and this and that. And just being that it's quite hollow somewhere I know pretty well. Uh, yeah, it, it sucked. Definitely. Well, we're going to get to the very positive part of your season. I'm sorry I had to go through that. Um, I imagine that first range session or practice session after the phone call you were I guess, as they say, you had a bit of a red ass, but um, did that inspire something special in you? Um, I know in hindsight, it probably feels like it did, especially when Ryan Fox also wins that week. Um, but like, were you, does it, does it annoy you to the point of inspiration? Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, you can either, you know, sit and dwell on those things or you can use that as uh, something positive and something that you can and build on and, I just felt like, hey, I wasn't good enough, according to them, and I wanted to get better, and I wanted to, you know, put my head down and work hard uh, in that little break that I had um, before Napa, and I'm not going to lie, I really did think about, well, when I when I was visualizing what I was going to do, uh, I actually visualized winning Napa and Sanderson, um, and Napa would have been probably a little bit sweeter only because it would have been like just beforehand sure. and they were like, Oh man, we just couldn't get him on a team. And it's like, um, so I actually, funny as it sounds, I did see myself winning both of that. Now, just because you see yourself winning, that doesn't mean you're going to, you're going to do that. But I, I was visualizing those things in my head and seeing those things in my head and, um, played pretty solid in Napa. Um, and then Jackson obviously was a, was a awesome week where I, uh, you know, put it all together and, and got the job done, which uh, I'm not going to lie, felt very sweet for, for other reasons as well. The one thing that I have to ask you about before we go into Sanderson is, was this your first time visiting St. Andrews this summer? This is taking us back to July a little bit. It was. So what, quickly then, what were your first impressions? I remember you saying that you got a big house for the family and had a bunch of people over there with you. Um, what was the first St. Andrews experience like? Uh, it was incredible. I I loved it. I thought it was one of the most magical places on earth. I would actually I would I would love to see it without all of the the hoopla around it. Like to see sure. it with like you know people walking their dogs through there when you're playing the 18th hole and. Um, to the grandstands down and the camera tower and all that stuff. I just want to be able to see as far as I can see. Um, 
and then like yeah you'll play the dunhill yeah yeah um i would love to except when i see the friday forecast when it's 40 degrees and blowing <laughs> 30 and raining <laughs> i'll just skip that day but um yeah. no it was um it was unbelievable and and I feel like we got the best St. Andrews as far as firmness goes. I mean, it was like, it was yeah. rock hard. The only thing that would have made it better is if it was blowing about 25. I agree. Totally. We just, we just didn't quite, we just didn't quite get the win, but it is just like, it is the coolest, coolest place. I mean, it is definitely in my top five courses in the world that I've ever played. Hell yeah. And I want to play it backwards one day, and that's after a missed cut, yeah, folks. Yes. That's after a missed cut. After a missed cut, I would want. I want to play it backwards also. Um, yes, that would be cool. But it just requires so much thought. The wind can dictate how that course plays so dramatically. Even just like a small shift from like a north to a northeast wind, I mean, can make a whole like drivable one day, and then it's like a driver in a seventy-yard shot one day. You know, and, it just, and then, yeah. and then, like that seventy-yard shot could be really difficult to a certain pin based on the wind. I, I would love to play it just like over and over and over again, and to see it in all its different ways. You know, the different weathers, the different winds, different firmness. Mm-hmm. It's just such a neat place. So, I, and then the town itself was super charming and um, so much history there. I couldn't say a bad word about it. There was, um, yeah, it was it was honestly the, one of the coolest experiences I've had. And that was, like you said, after a miscut, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I'm not sure when, when we go back, but I want to be, uh, I want to be playing there when we do. Well, I've been told it will probably be before 2030, which is still a ways out, but I think they're, they're circling maybe 2028, but we will see. Um, let's move to the Sanderson farms, your first win in six years. And, uh, I'm just very interested in how different are you as a golfer in 2022 than you were in 2016? I'm more complete player in the sense that I feel like I've got more tools to use. Um, and I necessarily always mean that in a physical sense. I mean, I think mentally, um, I'm a far superior player than I was then. And now that week I won. I did some things and I responded to some of the things that that week that were uh, really impressive to me even. Like, um, like I had made a bogey uh, for the first 46 holes of the RSM in 2016. And I made a triple on the 11th hole, um, but bounced back making three birdies in the last seven holes to get back to leading the tournament. And... And that was as a rookie. I thought that was, you know, looking back on it, it was pretty impressive and pretty, pretty cool. Um, but I feel like that sort of thing, I'm able to do a bit more now, and I'm a bit better at uh, kind of dictating the the mindset and the attitude I'm gonna have on the golf course. And that's really been a, a huge uh, difference maker in my game the last few years. And so I think as a as a growth there uh there's been massive growth and then physically i i do feel more complete as well i feel like i have more shots while it might not look a whole lot different i guess uh on paper um i feel like my game has uh has risen to a a new level and feel like i still have a long ways to go to uh to get to where i want to be that's a tournament where if you open with 71 like you did 
it's maybe encouraging in some ways, but like not you you can't win that tournament with a bunch of rounds in the seventies. No. And so you 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 fire sixty three on Friday and statistically that is your best round of the year. Seven point eight strokes gained on the field that day. Uh what clicked that day? Everything? Putting? Um, just putting when you have a round that goes super low? Well what was kinda cool to me was that was a that was a round that I actually um didn't have like a crazy strokes game putting day. Uh I think I was like a positive two something. Um yeah. so to shoot nine under, you know, not absolutely like oh I didn't just like put the lights out of it. Like I put it really nicely. But a lot of the putts I made were from like, you know, six, eight, twelve feet, you know, fourteen feet. I didn't really make any bombs, which uh I've been known to to make a few of those. Um so <laughs> That was kind of cool. I think I gained almost five shots short gain approach, which that's something that, um, you know, I'm working hard on my full swing and um, to see some of those things pay off in, in tournament time uh, is pretty cool. And I feel like I, I'm pretty confident in my putting. And if I can hit it like that a little more often, you know, low scores will follow because, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting my, giving myself really, really good looks, then, uh, I, I feel I feel confident I can I can pay those off you know more often than not. So uh, that was sure. that was a really cool round. It, 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 but really, it was probably mostly due to the, the iron play was exceptional, and uh, I putted kind of like I know I can. Now this is a fun exercise. That was your best round of the year. Can you name your three next best rounds statistically? Ooh. I'm going to go with the, the last round of the Wells Fargo. Yes, that is. Uh, that's one of the top three, yes. The weather was not great, and I think I was bogey-free. Um, so that was a nice a nice day. I hit the ball nice that day. Um, it's a good question. Um, Memorial, round one. Round one of the Memorial. He's two for two, folks. Um, where else? Six strokes gained that day. 67 is damn good. Let's see. Is there, is there one more? I'm, I'm missing one. Um, you are missing one clear one, I think, if I'm looking at it correctly. Oh, boy. Yeah. Clear one. This is bad. <laughs> um... Uh, I'm, I don't want to waste too much time, so I'm going to go with round two of the U.S. Open. Round one of the Canadian Open. You were too close oh, to home. Oh, man. That was, yeah, that was a good one. Um, round one of the U.S. Open. Uh, round one. 72? No, round two of the U.S. Open. I think I shot, okay, I think yeah, I shot 69. 69. Yes, um, 69. That that's up there though, but not quite yeah. as good as uh, yeah. round one of the Canadian apparently. All right. Um, all right. So that was a fun little exercise. Uh, when does it flip in your mind? Like I'm just making the assumption that when you go into a tournament, you want to play Mackenzie Hughes best golf. When do you flip to, okay, I want to win this thing. Like I'm in content. Like does, does your mind flip into contention mode ever? So Friday in Jackson, I felt like when I made the turn, uh, I shot five under on the front and got to six. 
I saw the lead was 10. At that point, I was like, hell down, you know, let's go forward. I uh, felt like I was playing too good not to, like, be aggressive and, like, kind of assertive. And sometimes, like, you ask anybody on a PGA Tour, Friday afternoon, you know, there can be times you play a little bit defensive, just knowing where the cut line is. Um, mm -hmm. But there wasn't really any of that. Um, I felt like, you know, I was looking at the top and knew I was swinging it well. At that point, kind of felt like I was, I was in contention Friday at the turn. And then from there, obviously played well in the back nine there, tied the lead. And then the whole weekend pretty much just told myself that um, I was going to win that, that week. I was going to win the tournament. And just felt like it was uh, – I just felt like it was my time to, to win and uh, kept telling myself that that's what I was going to do. And um, wh whether it happens or not, I just feel like those are good things to, to tell yourself because you just, you're, yes. you're just reinforcing that belief um, over and over and over again because it's easy to have the other thoughts go where you're like, oh, what if I blow this? Uh, what if I played a bad round? But I just got to tell myself – of all the good things that were going to happen and uh, kept seeing him over and over my, in my head. Uh, saw myself holding that trophy. And then, you know, when I hit that first tee shot on Sunday or, or even on Saturday, you know, you, your focus goes back to the golf. But I feel like those things that you, you know, do in your head um, that you say to yourself, that you see, um, just give yourself, just give you that little bit of an edge, a little bit of that, you know, positive reinforcement that uh, can, can get you yeah. over the line. One thing that my friends always ask me when they, you know, they kind of come in and leave the tour season and I'm a little more glued to it myself is like, okay, why did Mackenzie Hughes win that week? Why was it this week at the Sanderson Farms and not, you know, at Napa? Why, like, why that week? Can you explain that? Because <laughs> sometimes they it's look at it like, they, gosh, you know, because, these guys are random. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's because I didn't go to Cabo um, for my brother-in-law's bachelor party. So that's really the reason I won in Jackson because I actually showed up. Um, no, and, and in all honesty, I was very much considering going to Cabo that week for his oh first bachelor party. And I was like, no, no, I got, I got, I got to go. I like that course. I'm like, I got to go, got to work. Um, my car's on the line. You know, I'm not playing under a, you know, a big exemption here. So I was like, I'm going to go play, get some points on the board. And uh, so that's part one. And then, um, you know, I, I, I kind of talked to, to about this with somebody else where I feel like the weeks that you win, uh, you're in a, a higher place mentally than, let's say, Napa, for example. Um, I was just a little bit more, a little more patient. My attitude was a little better, a little more trusting. The confidence that week just kind of grew as I went, like obviously Friday was a big round for me. Got me feeling really good. And then Saturday, you know, played, played solid, got myself into the last group on Sunday again. And the confidence was just growing every day, every, every hole I played. And to answer your question, um, I, I didn't really like, see it coming. There wasn't like a, a, a thing that happened before the week started that, you know, gave me that hint, but I've always been someone that, I felt like once they got like around it and got that, that sniff that was pretty good in that, in that, in that kind of setting, you know, I, I like being, you know, in the last group, uh, I want to be, I want to be near the lead. 
playing late on Sunday because that's like that's when the everything's heightened, your juices are flowing the most. So yeah, and for it to happen that week, six years later, there's no no way you could predict that. Like I, I thought I won my fifth start as a member. I, I could have sworn there'd been more before before this one, but um it's just such a crazy game like that. And so hopefully the next one uh, comes a lot sooner. Yeah. You told uh, Todd Lewis that the second one felt at times harder to win than the first one, which I think people struggle to mentally understand. But when six years passes, that thought has to creep into your head, right? For sure it does. And I think that the first one I won, I was like just happy to be on the PGA Tour. And when I got in contention, it was like, that felt like gravy, you know, where yeah. then once I, w- I win, the expectation is there that I can do it. And then every time you fall short of that in the years following, you start to question it. You start wondering like, okay, well, I was close to get done, you know, when's this going to happen? And then, you know, the more it happened, the more you, uh, you don't doubt it, but you just you're just wondering when it's going to happen. And it starts to go another, another year, another year goes by. And so it definitely was harder because coming down the stretch, I kind of knew, all right, I'm going to have a chance to win this tournament in the last few holes. And you just, you want to get it done. You, you don't want to finish second. I mean, as, as much as second does pay the bills, second sucks when you're in that, like if I had lost that playoff with Seth, it would have, it would have sucked. Um, just because I felt like I was right there and in control of the tournament for a large, a large portion of the weekend. So you just never know. You just never know. And um, you look at Scotty, like I think Scotty was a great example. Scotty hadn't won one waste management and then just like broke the seal. It was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, Scotty. Um, mm. And I think that happens for a lot of guys. I mean, I think Xander, I think Xander's, drought when he finally won travelers it was like the burden was off and then he wins his next start in scottish and it was like i just you could tell he was playing a little more free just looked a bit more at ease um so i think a lot of guys he, he a lot looks of guys so at ease man oh yeah yeah like, it just feels like when i saw him in, in in scotland that week he is coming off the travelers coming off of the Adair Manor Pro-Am. Now, granted, that is not uh, a full field or anything, but that's being a bunch of good players uh, keeping all their strokes. And I was like, dude, are you the hottest player in the world right now? And he said, no, I think it's still Scotty, but, you know, I'm kind of right there. And then he just kind of goes out and casually gets it done on Sunday. And I was like, yeah, you you just look comfortable, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, he can make it look pretty easy, and um, he's a guy that – looks like he should win, you know, twice a year. That just goes to show you how hard it is because he hadn't won since, was it 2019, the, the century? So. Well, he beat you in Tokyo, if you count that. He did. He did win in Tokyo. Um, he just flipped me by, like, 22 that week, probably. Um, but, no, he, um, yeah, he's a really, really impressive player. And um, the, the talent out there is, uh, is incredible and it's so deep, but. Yeah, to uh, be able to call myself now a two-time winner is, uh, is pretty cool. All right. I have three more questions for you. I appreciate all the time. I know uh, you're just passing time. But what have you done with the Rooster Trophy? 
the rooster is not in my possession yet. Um, I get a what? I get a three quarter replica of it. So I don't I don't get the full not the full full, the full cock. I just get most of it. I get most of that beautiful bird. Oh. So um, no, it it'll be uh, it'll be cool to put up in the in the man cave and um it's how is your man cave uh it it needs some work it's we're actually uh, in the process of building a new new house right now so uh the next one will be will be pretty cool i think and um i'll have a good place to display some of those those trophies and hopefully i can make a big shelf and, and start filling it up all right second to last question look at what we just discussed january to winning at sanderson what grade are you giving your performance in 2022? What letter grade? I mean, because it now includes a win, um, I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay. Where was it before that? Um, probably a C plus. Okay. I like that. So and then when you win this week, A plus. A plus. That's right. Um, yeah, it just there was too much up and down for me, and there wasn't enough uh, consistency there. So now, obviously, my season as a whole, when it includes the wraparound, was was still yes. good, but I had done a lot of damage in the fall, and then you know, kind of pecked away at it this year, but didn't didn't have like spurts where I played really good golf for a long period of time, and um, so the goal in twenty three is to uh, extend those periods of good play and uh, reduce the periods of, uh, of missed cuts. If that's the goal, then you might have to write it down this year. Yeah. Actually put it in stone. That was, that, uh, that was my a, final question. Yeah. Let's hear it. My final question is you're getting on the PGA tour chartered plane to Japan in a couple hours. Who is atop your list of people on that plane that you want to sit by? It's a good question. Um, to be honest, if I'm being flat out honest, I don't want to sit next to, well, I have no preference really because I'll be sleeping. If this was like a charter where we were going to be like throwing it back and we like, I had just won, yeah. we were heading home. I didn't want my boys there. They want like some of the Canadian boys. Uh, sure. Pendrith, uh, Corey, Nick. <laughs> um, but near the very top of the list would be Joel. Wow. He, what an honor. Yeah. I mean, he's just, uh, he doesn't need many reasons to celebrate, but I can imagine that, like, if you were, like, celebrating something really good, that he would be even more epic. Um, yes. And he's, yeah, he's not afraid to have a good time. So uh, I think he's on the charter, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, but even I know Gino's he, on it. So. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, assume, I, I assume Joel is, but I can. I can see him uh, taking it easy on this one because we're going to be landing at 4 a.m. on Tuesday uh, in Japan. Oh, so I think he'll be wanting to sleep. But uh, you're losing a full day. Maybe he snuck. Sick. Maybe maybe he snuck a few white claws in his bag. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's been known to have a All few I know white is claws. You're n you're number two FedEx Cup right now. I feel like that should get you into like the second seat on the plane. Like you should be able to pull trump card of hey. Guys, yeah, we're, FedEx Cup standings we, we, dictate uh, the seating chart. Yeah, we we got a good seat. We're 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 doing okay with the seat. We got a nice 
nice business class, lay flat. Um, so oh. I'll be able to get some sleep. You're not going to watch a single movie. I might start with one, <laughs> just just to kind of ease, ease myself into it. And I feel like at the beginning of those flights, they like offer you stuff. Like if you fall asleep right away, they come by and like poke you anyways. So you might as well just like stay up for a little bit, and then everyone will pass yeah. out. And uh, if I could get like six to eight hours of sleep, that would be pretty solid. That would be ideal. We'll uh, see. I, I, I'm taking the under on that bet. Um, Smart. <laughs> Best of luck. We appreciate you uh, giving us some time, Mac. Yeah, of and uh, how many tour pros are there in the United Lounge right now around you? Let's see. I got uh, Cam Davis, Dylan Fratelli. Uh, I saw Matt Walls is here. Uh, there's a few. There's a few guys in here. Nice. So a couple of caddies. Um, it seems to be uh, the spot to come hang out. But I need to find none of them two time tour winners. No, no. I need to find uh I need to find some real food though before I got on this plane. So All right. Stop yapping to me then. Mac, right. I appreciate the time, man. Take it easy. Good luck this week. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. Major thanks to Mac for joining me en route to Japan. I didn't know how much sleep he actually got. I think his goal of six to eight hours was just a lofty goal. We'll leave it at that. Um, if you've made it thus far to this podcast, I really appreciate you joining as well. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled drop zone stuff with Dylan and me, I believe, Sunday night, Monday morning. So we'll see you then. <laughs>